following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Today we're going to discuss fundamental aspects of Gnostic psychology in relation to the study of ourselves. Because in Gnostic doctrine we seek to understand who divinity is within our psychological interior. We seek to really grasp from experience what religions have taught symbolically. We do not look to divinity as some anthropomorphic figure, an old man in the clouds. Instead, we refer to the very root cognizance of perceiving reality from a physical level as well as a spiritual level on a more subtle, subtle plane of experience we are going to explain precisely what does it mean to have gnosis. The word gnosis is Greek, meaning knowledge. But people think this term denotes intellectual, scholarly, uh, intellectually uh, scholasticism, something to be studied and debated. But instead, it pertains to the experience of divinity, the experience of reality. It was never meant to be limited to a book, to a theory, to a school of philosophical thought. And instead pertains to our direct knowledge, our direct experience of the divine inside of us, no matter what name attributed to that force in accordance with religion. Now, uh, specifically, in order to really know divinity, we need to know ourselves. There's a very famous Sufi saying by the name of a, it's a traditional, actually it's a traditional statement given by the mystics of Islam who taught that he who knows himself knows his Lord. And this is uh, attributed to the Muslim prophet Muhammad who knew and taught Gnosis. Just as Moses, Buddha, Jesus embodied the fullest expression of uh, the divine truths within them. 
Now, specifically, in order to understand divinity, we need to know who we are. And in this way, we study psychology. People normally attribute psychology to the study of mind, the intellect. But we're going to explain how psychology, really etymologically, we break it down as psyche and logos. Psyche means soul or consciousness. And logos is the divine, or literally translates from the Greek, the word. And as the Bible teaches us, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It's a force of vibration and energy, not merely limited to physical matter, but specifically permeates all of nature and governs all of uh, the laws of gravitation, cohesion, magnetism, electricity. But on a spiritual level, we find precisely how this energy we call Christ in Gnostic terms pertains to the root energy of perception itself. So Logos is precisely that force inside of us, that divine being within our heart, which we seek to access through many uh, disciplines, such as meditation, such as prayer. And so we're not solely focused on the theory. So we're going to explain today theory, but I invite you to really absorb and listen to what it means to experience these concepts. So we're going to talk about the structure of our psychology as taught in uh, Gnosticism, but also it's very well elaborated within the the Judeo-Christian Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Old and New Testaments are, as we're going to elaborate, demonstrate for us in symbols, uh, spiritual and psychological archetypes, principles, that pertain to our development as a soul. And in this way, we're going to talk about very extensively about uh, Kabbalah, which is the mystical science of Judaism, in order to elaborate and explain very uh, lofty uh, concepts. So you see in this image, we have uh, a Buddha, Buddha Gautama Shakyamuni. And of course, in Gnosis, we teach that all religions are one, whether it be Buddhist or Christian, Muslim, Jewish, etc. And this image of the Buddha uh, has one hand up, the other hand down. And this is pertaining to the need to study both the superior worlds, the superior uh, aspect of divinity and nature, and also our physical, psychological, terrestrial nature itself. And so... um, The word Buddha means awakened one, to awaken. And we're going to very elaborate on what does it mean to awaken itself and the need to awaken spiritually. The word Bud, uh, B-U-D-E, Buddha, from the word Buddha, it translates as cognizance, to be aware. And therefore, a real Buddhist is one who is aware of his or her own genuine spiritual nature. And so we're going to talk about divinity. We're going to talk about the essence, which is our soul itself. We're also going to talk about the obstacles that prevent us from 
knowing the knowing our soul and our divinity. And also we're going to talk about the personality which keeps us uh, imprisoned, we could say, in a subjective form of thinking, of psychology. So we have in this image, in this next slide, the galaxy, or uh, the Andromeda galaxy. And a couple Hebrew quotes from the book of Genesis, which we're going to elaborate in depth. And so you see also uh, a quote from the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition. His name is Samael Beor. He teaches that the essence of the soul that each one of us carries within his interior comes from above, from heaven, from the stars. So to elaborate on the nature of our soul, we're going to talk about where our soul comes from. What is it that we call consciousness? And this is from the real heart of religion. So we're explaining it in the Hebrew way. But you find this in Buddhism. You find the same teaching in Islam, in Christianity. But we're going to explain it particularly in the, the Hebraic way, the Kabbalistic way, the mystical science of Judaism, for, due to its uh, relevance to our culture in, uh, in America. So we see that uh, we have to elaborate that the Bible is uh, symbolic. Kabbalah is a science of numbers, but associated with the science of... Uh, symbols and are in relation to our psychology. And we point out the nature of, uh, the, we, sh- we show the nature of divinity, particularly by showing the galaxy, which is interesting, because particularly uh, the soul emanates from divinity itself. And divinity we call Christ, is that energy that governs every cosmos, every universe every galaxy. We say that divinity is both the, which would they, the Gnostics call Christ or Christos, is a fire, is a force, which was particularized within the body of Jesus of Nazareth. But really any master, genuine initiate, such as Buddha or, or Moses, had incarnated that light just in different names. So this light or energy is the, what powers any atom. Any galaxy. It governs all of creation and really is a force that we need to learn how to internalize. So we say in a manner of speaking that light is consciousness. We say that the, we say that the light is in itself uh, physical light is a form of perception. And we say that light in an allegorical sense relates to consciousness, the soul. We even know, and uh, what's interesting is that even in quantum mechanics, the study of uh, subatomic particles, we have discovered that light itself, even physical light particles, have intelligence, make choices, make decisions. There was an experiment in which a wall with two uh, slots, two entrances was opened. On the left, or on one side, there was a a lead plate. and the other, there was no plate. They would shoot particles at this wall towards these two holes in which 
light particles should pass through. But if they, when, uh, when the particles hit the lead plate, they were blocked and stopped. But the fact that afterward, all the light particles immediately chose to go around that plate after having encountered that element demonstrates that light has intelligence and demonstrates teachings that were given in Buddhism 2,500 years ago. That to be awakened spiritually, to have the development of the soul, to experience light is, is a divine principle. And also physical light is the embodiment of Christ. Which is why in, in many traditions we find, such as in Platonism, uh, the doctrine of Plato, how the, the highest good is represented by the sun. And Jesus is of Nazareth who embodied that, that divine Christic force itself. Was, uh, he said, I am the light of the world. He, uh, Jesus said, uh, or the Christ through Jesus taught. And so our soul really emanates from that, from that divine force, which in Hebrew we call Yehida. And this is a term in Hebrew that means unity. So we see that in the universe how, or any cosmos, from if a galaxy or an infinite, which is a collect of collections of billions of galaxies, we have a form of unity in space. The universe is not governed by chaos, but by divine, uh, divine forces and intelligences. Now we see specifically that uh, all the conglomeration of uh, galaxies, stars within the infinite, is a form of unity, is a cosmos. Cosmos means unity. So in the macrocosmos, the greater universe, we see reflected what needs to be uh, developed inside spiritually. Because just as divinity governs all of the stars of any universe, we too need to be able to reflect that spiritually. So we find uh, it's, uh, what's interesting is that, the, as the Sufis taught, he who knows himself knows his Lord, knows that energy, Christ, Allah, the Buddha, which permeates all of space. We have to really question and examine ourselves to see what is it that, that we know about divinity. Because if we look and we sit to close our eyes when we practice a meditation, we observe psychologically inward, we see that we in turn uh, do not see divinity particularly with our spiritual sight. Usually we see darkness in our mind. And this reflects for us if we really are honest and confront this within ourselves, whether we know divinity directly. The truth is we come to understand that we, if we're seeking uh, and studying spirituality, it's because we want to know divinity because we do not know what that energy or force is. And so uh, the truth is if we wish to know what divinity is, we have to know what is our, where does the soul come from and to know it from experience. So light is consciousness, is perception, which in us is in potential. It needs to be developed. For as Jesus taught, uh, with patience possess ye your souls. He didn't say that we have soul. He says that we need to develop soul. And the Bible and the scriptures often teach that the need to awaken that development, that potential in us, which is demonstrated in the very first uh, lines of the Hebraic Bible. We find here 
in this text. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is Genesis, or Bereshit, chapter 1, verse 3. The Hebrew says, Ve'omer Elohim yehi aor va'yehi aor. The word for God is Elohim, divinity. The phrase, let there be light, or the word light is aor in Hebrew, which is a term we're going to look at and examine in relation to uh, the study of psychology. What is this light inside we want to develop? So the word let there be is yehi, coming from the Hebrew word yehida, which means unity. So the fact that God says let there be light, he's, the Bible is indicating that this light we need to develop is inside, psychologically. While it pertains to the birth of any universe, really, uh, more importantly, this Bi- the Bible pertains to how we develop our soul. How do we create that perception of God inside so Elohim, or God, said, let there be light, and there was light. Yehi aor va yehi aor. The word yehi means let there be. Let there become. Let there develop. And what's interesting is that this is the very opening of this, uh, the, the Jewish religion, but also the foundation of Christianity. It says that this darkness is our mind, and that we need to develop the soul, the light inside. Again, another scripture that uh, emphasizes that we need to develop that light that, to give us that uh, peace and serenity that we typically long for in religion, in our education, in our families, but which can only really come from God it's himself and herself, that force within us. So we find the following teaching by Jesus again. Yeshua in Hebrew, which relates to Yehida, the, the unity of the light that expressed to Jesus, said, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be simple or single, pure, thy whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, thy whole body will be full of darkness. And therefore the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is thy darkness? So this is again talking about this, the nature of light is spiritual perception. To see divinity, to know divinity as a form of presence, as a form of experience inside of us. But if, uh, if we are egotistical, meaning if we are attached to anger or negative emotions, fear, those elements obscure the light inside of us and prevent us from experiencing that purity inside. But he who develops that spiritual sight, as Jesus taught, knows happiness and peace and harmony and the genuine experience of divinity. So, uh, again, light is consciousness, as we demonstrated through the example of quantum mechanics. And uh, we also find another quote that's very telling and very interesting. On the right we see, a reference to the 14th verse of Genesis, which says, And God said, Yehi me'arot, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So people literally interpret it as the creation of stars in the heaven, the physical heavens. But we need to create these lights inside as a type of spiritual experience, a type of understanding of what divinity is. Inside. The word for lights is meorot, 
which has the word aur in it, which means light. So if this seems complicated or, uh, or, di or challenging or difficult, we're going to explain it relates uh, in terms of our practical experience is very uh, scientific or simple. We use uh, these languages to really get at the heart of the meaning of, of these teachings, particularly because they're very profound and that English is not the best medium for expressing these concepts, we could say, or uh, in, the, in these scriptures. So uh, again, our soul emanates from that energy called Christ, which is that energy that governs all of creation. Christ emanates from himself, uh, or better said, the soul emanates from particularly the galaxy, or the forces that govern in a spiritual level, this entire unity, this cosmos in itself. So, uh, Samael and Vior explains further, unquestionably the marvelous essence or soul that we carry within emanates from the note La, the Milky Way, the galaxy we live in. And I'm going to elaborate on what we call the um, a law of seven, known as the musical scale, which uh, we find in music that there are seven notes in nature. Likewise, in the constitution of any uh, universe, we find seven forms of cosmoses, kind of a type of units. So we have the infinite, which is a form of cosmos containing billions of galaxies, which is really the harmony, which is governed by that energy called the uh, Christ governs that uh, cosmos. Likewise, we have uh, the individual galaxy relating to the musical note La. So we find that the musical note C, as, we, as in uh, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si in music. This, uh, on that scale, representing the note C, we find uh, the infinite, which is billions of galaxies. The galaxy itself is governed by the note La. Sol, even in Spanish, means sun, pertains to the solar system. And likewise, the note fa pertains to our planet itself. And mi is our physical body, is a form of cosmos. So we find different structures by which, or different levels of creation that this divinity manages, and from which our soul finally emanates. So we have, again, the note do, which is the source of that light called the Ahida, called Christ, which emanates and governs any infinite billions of galaxies under its uh, domain. Likewise, we find the galaxy, the note La, as I said. So the marvelous essence emanates from the note La, the Milky Way in which we live. The precious essence passes through the note Sol, the sun, and then passes through the note Fa, the planetary zone, that enters this world and penetrates our own interior. This is from Treaties of Revolutionary Psychology by Samael and Vior. So the thing is, uh, the note me relates to our body. So even when we say me, we typically refer to ourselves, which we uh, mistakenly believe is our body. But we have to understand the soul is something that animates the body, gives it life. This is something we want to know directly and intimately. So we see here in the next graphic an image of a child which is a, a beautiful depiction of the soul or the essence. When a child is born, between the, uh, usually between the uh, ages of uh, one and seven, that child exuberates great beauty. 
great uh, presence. When we hold a child or look at a child, one feels innocent or one feels longing or, or happiness because that child emanates a force which is very pure. The soul or essence is, very em- is manifest within a child at that age, between the ages of zero, uh, between zero and seven. Sometimes even younger now, uh, zero and four, since some children mature faster, and we're going to explain what the significance of that. So we see that uh, this child is like a, uh, dressed like a cherub, is innocent. And as the Christian Gospels teach us, we must become as innocent as children to enter the kingdom of heaven, as uh, Jesus taught. So what does it mean to be innocent? Does it mean to be ignorant or to not be able to learn how to spell? Or to be, uh, to lack knowledge of an intellectual type. It means to have a type of being that is very pure. Kindness, love, and compassion that are manifest in a child very early. And so this soul we must learn to develop. And, uh, to ex- and really our, our essence is a child. It is a, we say, is in an embryonic state. It needs to be developed. So between the ages of zero and seven, that soul is manifest. And later, as the child begins to mature and acculturate to the physical world, loses that innocence, loses that purity, and begins to manifest defects or errors, vices like anger, pride, vanity, which we're going to explain in depth. But we put this image of a child, of a keru, precisely because, uh, in relation to the previous graphic, which we showed the galaxy, the stars. So typically in religious paintings, we see the cherubim, the angels, those masters who are purified and manifest that light of God called Christ, that energy. Uh, truly, uh, we must learn to be innocent in mind and heart, pure to not have anger or violence or hatred or resentment in our, in our core, but really to change those elements. And this is precisely how we develop our soul itself. But uh, we find that uh, what's interesting, if, to give you a deeper understanding about the nature of divinity in relation to the soul, or the nature of Yehida, that unity of God, I can refer to you to the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven. If, you f- if you're familiar with hearing uh, the Ninth Symphony, the choral movement, cl- uh, classical music has many profound teachings for us. We find that uh, beautiful theme resonating throughout that piece in the fourth movement, where the German says, Freude schöner Gattafunken, Tochter aus Elysium, Wir betreten Feuer trunken, Himmlische ein Heiligtum. And if you're familiar with that piece, you see that theme running throughout the rest of the fourth movement and is a choral piece. So there's many voices that are in that one harmony. So this is a representation of what Christ is that Beethoven was demonstrating in his music. Specifically because, uh, if you think of it, it very analytically, we find that the chorus is one harmony, is one unity, but composed of many voices Many singers. Each singer is a, is a, you could say, is an angel, a being that has perfected him or herself and is united with that light. And that great theme, 
that unity within the cosmos in which all the voices are one beauty and harmony is uh, called Christ. And so there's a famous line in, in that uh, symphony which ex- ties into this graphic. Specifically, uh, they say, and the cherub stands before God. And um, if you're not familiar with the piece of music, I would have to play parts of it for you. But uh, there's a very famous line, and the cherub stands before God. And it's a very titanic moment in which the chorus uh, emphasizes the word Gott in German. So uh, what is that cherub? It's a soul that has been purified and is now uniting with that, that unity, that march, that voice, which is one but many. Many voices but one deity. Because the, the, we could compare it to the light of the sun. Each being in the universe is a, is a ray of light that unites with the sun. And any sun is an expression of Christ, as we demonstrated. So we must learn to become like children, like a cherub. As we saw in this uh, very famous Gnostic text, the Gospel of Thomas, in which Yeshua, Jesus, or Yehida, the unity of the light of Christ, says, A person old in days will not hesitate to ask a little child, seven days old, about the place of life, and that person will live. So what does this mean? I mean, these uh, scriptures are symbolic. We find that uh, a person who is old in days doesn't mean physical age, but refers to the state of ignorance, to not, be, uh, have not, to not have experienced the youth and beauty of divinity inside. But we also we find that uh, a child that's seven days old, going back to the nature of the seven scales of any cosmos, seven notes, because the soul gradually and beginning its journey to return inward and upward to divinity goes to the musical scale of different levels of dimensionality which we call Kabbalah, the tree of life. So those seven notes have to be lived inside of us. So the soul needs to, in order for that person, you know, an old person must ask a child seven days old and the person will, about the place of life and the person will spiritually live. So to live, it means to live spiritually. So what is a child? Is a, a really a, a being that fully emanates that light of divinity inside. And again, this is not physical light, but spiritual light, perception, the ability to see through any difficult problem and to really navigate on the, the waters of this existence that we live in with integrity. So we emphasize that... Uh, and as Beethoven taught, and the cherub stands before God. We find that uh, if we wish to be, be before divinity, we need to change psychologically, to become innocent, to become purified, which requires a type of discipline on our part. We see here at the, on the bottom uh, right, we put a reference to the Hebrew word tifereth, which tifereth means beauty. Tifereth refers to the, is, an, is the Hebrew name for the soul. Notice that the word tifereth in Hebrew contains within it the word aur, tifareth. Tifereth can mean splendor, beauty, radiance. And the Hebrew word for light is aur. So as God said, let there be light, yehi aur, and there was light, va yehi aur. So it's referring to the soul that's created seemingly out of the darkness of our current existence, of our daily problems, of our suffering. And so 
that light inside we need to develop within our uh, consciousness, within ourselves. And it's really, as I mentioned to you, between the ages of zero and seven, uh, when a child exuberates that light. Or if you look at a flower, really examine its beauty, such as if you go to a, a botanic gardens or any world-class garden, you see really the flowers in their Edenic state exuberate that purity of the, of the light of divinity, that purity that really the soul can be developed inside of us. But we need to confront and examine ourselves. What is preventing us from accessing that direct perception of God, divinity? So we're going to talk about uh, what we call the ego, what we call the self, and really discuss this in detail. So if, again, as I mentioned, if we examine ourselves and really observe from our, from our experience that uh, we genuinely don't know what this divinity is, and we, instead what we typically see are um, perhaps struggles and emotional conflicts, pain of emotional type, psychological type, fear, anger, different sentiments, Usually we have, we have to understand that uh, really uh, by examining ourselves, we will come to understand the obstacles that prevent us from knowing the light of divinity. So we talk about the ego. Ego in Latin means I, myself. And so we ask ourselves this question, who, who am I in this moment? This is an interesting question because usually we say that we know ourselves. When someone asks us, who are we? We say, I am, this is my name, this is my race, my gender, my culture, this is my education, this is where I grew up, this is uh, who I am as a person, these are the types of sentiments or experiences that I have on a daily basis. But speaking from a religious standpoint, our real self, the real uh, true human being inside is not our name, is not our language, is not our culture. As I said, is the energy that emanates within all the cosmos, a divine force that is a type of happiness that is really beyond uh, expression. But instead we find, if we learn to observe ourselves and, and see what, what is occurring in our psychological states on a given moment, we find typically we are stressed with work or problems, challenges or deals, if someone insults us, excuse me, we feel uh, perhaps resentment, followed by a sense of indignation. If uh, we are criticized, we criticize back. If we are accused, we defend ourselves. So we find that in life we are, we are constantly going through a series of reactions and states that are fluctuating. In one moment we can be happy, in another moment we can be sad. And usually, if we're honest, we see that Usually on the smallest basis, a single moment can destroy a person, can change a person's life entirely. And so we want to really be honest and examine the fact that we are in a very uh, fragile state. And we have to understand why. When someone asks us, if, someone call, if uh, we knock on the door and say, 
someone asks us, who is there? We say, it is me. We have to really understand who is this me that we are talking about? Who is this myself? Because if we do not know ourselves, we will not know divinity. So this religious maxim teaches us that if we do not know divinity, it means that we haven't fully comprehended ourselves in our totality. And this is why we study the nature of ego, the self. And so we say in the, we show this graphic, this is from a, a medieval painter by the name of Hieronymus Bosch. He depicted a very disturbing landscape with fires and chaos in a town with a small shrine and the figure of St. Anthony, who's a holy person, a saint, trying to purify his mind. And you see that his mind is represented in this graphic. You see all these strange figures who are deformed or animalistic of an inhuman type. And they're very, the, the skill it took to really depict this type of subjective hidden psychology is really remarkable. And we say that Hieronymus Bosch knew very well this teaching. And so he depicted in art a psychological reality that is typical for most of us. So this landscape is precisely our psychological landscape. So we say that in order to really know uh, divinity, we have to first confront what in us prevents us from seeing divinity. Logically, it stands to, it's, a, it's logical that if we, don't, if we don't know divinity, there must be some obstacle. There must be something we need to do in order to really know uh, the light of God. Yehida, which we find, as you see in this image, this shrine, you see uh, the image of Christ crucified in a very small temple. And what's interesting about this is that this uh, painter is describing how very, in the very deep recesses of our being, of our consciousness, we have Christ inside our own divinity, which is what we, seek, what we pray to and seek to cultivate and to know. But outside of this, we have our states of anger, of desire, of affliction, of suffering, of pain, of confusion, which are represented as a multiplicity. Usually we say, uh, we think uh, in, a, in a very common manner in this society, in this, in this world, that we are one self. And we attribute all of our experiences to one self, one individual. But in Gnostic psychology and the study of the mind, as in Buddhism and different religions, these traditions teach us that the mind is really multiple. And this, of course, is a very disturbing factor to confront in oneself, particularly because of this idea that we are somehow one. We are individual. But if we examine and simply observe ourselves, we can see our common contradictions that we experience on a daily basis. For one moment, we have the desire to um, exercise. And then one moment, we want to eat something. And the next, we want to read a book, followed by the impulse to watch television or to say something funny to a friend or someone criticizes us, we immediately turn to anger. These are all multiple states that are constantly changing within our psychological experience. And what's important to understand is that these states do not originate from one integral self. But logically, this, we can say that each state in itself, which is completely different from the next, is a different type of self 
so that there is a multiplicity. As therefore we call this each self an ego, a defect, a wrong way of thinking, a wrong way of feeling, a wrong way of acting that religions teach us we created. So when religions talk about the devil, we think of a man in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork somehow manipulating this humanity and causing people to suffer. But we say that really anger is, is an ego, is, a, is satanic, is a defect, is destructive. Any psychological state which impels us to speak harm of another person or to be sarcastic or to be violent with words, to be resentful, these are really... Uh, uh, we, we, we denominate in Gnostic terms, it's satanic, demonic, is destructive. So the devil is inside, but also God is inside. And this image really beautifully represents that. You see a man praying, to, you see St. Anthony here, who realized in himself that he has all these afflicting desires inside of himself, which he's trying to destroy, trying to remove. And therefore he wore sackcloth and he was doing these penances, which symbolically represent the need to change psychologically. It doesn't refer to, uh, this doesn't mean that if, when discovering this fact in ourselves, we put on sackcloth or perform austerities of that type as a symbol. Uh, we need to really understand how we created this landscape we live in. So we look at life and our problems, we have to understand that these originate from the mind. For as Buddhism teaches us, mind precedes phenomena. We become what we think. And therefore... In a given moment, we feel anger, we, we react with anger. In a moment, we feel a sense of um, uh, joy to a degree as a result of certain causes and conditions outside. We find that if we are really observant of ourselves, we see that life is constantly entering our mind with impressions and we are reacting all the time. But in order to know this, we have to observe this fact. So we talk about in these studies, self-observation, the need to observe who we are in a given instant, who we are in a given moment. And so we find that uh, the ego, in a symbolic term, can mean all of our habits and defects, vices, things that occur on a psychological level that usually are very submerged, we don't see, unless we learn to, to observe with the light of consciousness. So we, learn to, we have to learn how to see inside of ourselves who we are in a given moment. This is the, what we call self-observation. This is how we strengthen our soul by learning to look inside psychologically and to develop this sense that we are not necessarily our thoughts that are constantly churning. We are not necessarily the negative emotional states we, we experience time to time. Neither are we sensations in the body. These things are constantly changing. They're always fluctuating. So where's the permanence in that? So we're, why be attached to this sense of identity that is contingent upon external factors? Because God is not dependent on other things. Is the source of all life. As represented in this image, how the, the symbol of Christ representing that energy inside, that force inside, is at the very heart of our universe. But we have forgotten that. Instead, what we have are egos, defects. And really, an ego is really just a mistransformation of forces in our psyche. 
So in a given moment, we identify with a certain circumstance and uh, really we created uh, certain habits or conditions that trap that light inside. So in the book of Genesis says, uh, really, how uh, light comes from darkness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We find that uh, that darkness is really our egotistical mind. And likewise, every ego is just, uh, you could say in symbolic terms, a type of bottle that traps light. Because each ego in itself conditions our perception. It's a, it's a form of, it's like a shell. And if you're familiar with the story of the genie of Aladdin's lamp, that lamp is an ego, it's a shell that traps our, really our, our awareness of divinity. And so we find that uh, if we break the shell, you free the light. And this is the meaning of let there be light and there was light. That darkness is precisely this landscape. And some island viewer speaks of the psychological landscape in uh, his book, The Great Rebellion. How we need to really observe, to be aware of ourselves in this moment. And to see what states in us are egotistical, or perhaps what, what, really, uh, what is that insight of hunches we may get, that longing in the heart that inspires us to want to study religion or, or spirituality. That in itself is the impulse in our heart, which is that figure of Christ in the heart temple to which this uh, aspirant of religion is praying to. So there's a saying, and, and uh, if you're familiar with the uh, tarot cards, which is in a form of Egyptian mysticism, it teaches the a following maxim, which is very profound in relation to this image. You shall establish an altar within thy heart, but not make an altar of thy heart. So it means that uh, within us we need to really worship divinity. We have to learn to observe ourselves and to be aware of what is divinity from, in us from experience. This is what we observe ourselves, to exercise that, a new type of perception about who we are. And not to identify with anger or, or a moment of feeling superior to another person or ambitious. But to see these things in a new light. So each ego, again, is a, is a defect that traps light, traps uh, perception inside of us. And so we find that... Uh, we find that we need to uh, free the light from inside. We state in uh, Gnostic studies that, unfortunately, 97% of our consciousness is subconscious, is trapped in ego. So we say that the ego itself is subconsciousness, which is a very famous teaching given by Freud in uh, modern psychology. And so he, he even knew, and many psychologists know now, and accept the fact that we have a subconsciousness. But to the extent of which how much we are subconscious, that is... Uh, something we need to really examine more profoundly within modern psychology. So 3% of our, our soul is not conditioned yet. And we need to learn how to activate that consciousness that is free but asleep. Again, the Bible teaches us the need to awaken. To uh, awaken to our genuine divine nature inside, which can give us the happiness we seek. But instead, we need to learn to be like... Uh, Jesus, 
excuse me, which we're going to see in the next image. But uh, I just want to emphasize a quote for you about uh, the nature of the ego, as from Samuel Vior, who states in his book Revolutionary Psychology. Indeed, the humanoid does not have a permanent eye, but instead he has a multitude of different infrahuman and absurd eyes. We say in a matter of, uh, he says, the wretched intellectual animal mistakenly called the human being is similar to a house in disorder where instead of one lord, many servants exist who always want to command and perform their own whims. So this seems very bleak and very... Uh, perhaps even pessimistic. But what's important is to really examine ourselves and seek to understand, seek to understand what in us, what makes us suffer in life, genuinely. What, uh, what perhaps do we wish to change in, a, in ourselves? We need to really identify our state. And the term that uh, some island VR gives for, for really this humanity, he says intellectual animals. The word anima, anima means soul. And so we are intellectual souls. And as the Bible teaches us, we are that darkness that really God needs to mold and shape into light. So our soul needs to cease being so dependent on intellect. We think... Our thoughts are who our genuine identity. Our thoughts are feelings. But we need to really observe ourselves to see from a higher perspective that we are not necessarily the mind. We are not necessarily the heart. We are not sensations. But we're something more profound. A state of presence and being which can radically change our life. And so uh, we have to really examine our own changes in our psychology on a moment-to-moment basis. As some island viewer states, no person does the same in a continuous manner. Indeed, one does not have to be a sage in order to fully realize the innumerable changes and contradictions of each individual. So again, we're changing constantly. Different thoughts, different feelings, different memories, preoccupations, beliefs. In In one moment, we may believe in a political party, and the next we shift. And uh, we have many contradictions which occur moment by moment, day by day. So the fact that we do have these contradictions emphasizes for us the multiplicity of factors inside of ourselves. Defects. And so the Bible talks about the nature of the ego and that it's multiplicity. So this is a very famous depiction of Jesus driving out demons. And I mentioned to you that uh, that the uh, ego itself is demonic. Because is a self-willed creation, anger, pride, vanity, the seven deadly sins that Christianity talks about. These are inside of us. And so we, had, we see this image of Jesus driving out, exercising two men, and removing these demons that were possessing them. So this is a very uh, powerful symbol of how our inner Christ the light of our inner divinity inside needs to expel the impurities that are inside of ourselves. So as some island viewers stated, you know, the, our different fluctuating states in our psyche 
constitute disorder. Whereas uh, that divinity inside can give us genuine peace, where we are really in a state absent from fear, from pain, from suffering. Or no matter what happens outside of ourselves, we are filled with joy and uh, acceptance and love for humanity. Instead, we have the opposite, which really is our defects, our, these demons inside. The word uh, Satan, again, from, comes from the Hebrew, shaitan, means the adversary. So, what is this, so who is this, uh, these defects an adversary of? It's really of uh, divinity in ourselves. And so God needs to create order inside. Let there be light. And there was light from the darkness. So in order to do that, we need to remove what is impure in us, which obstructs us from knowing God. And of course, this requires a very strong and terrible confrontation, and which is emphasized by this image of Jesus expelling demons from this man. So people think in Christianity that this refers to literally the physical Jesus came and there were two men who were possessed and he perhaps threw some holy water on them and made a blessing and then these demons literally left this man, these two men, and entered the bodies of pigs. They don't under- these people don't understand this is a symbol of something psychological that any aspirant of religion needs to experience, to go through. So we see that uh, we find this quote from Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 20, uh, or from, sorry, from chapter 8, verses 28. And when Jesus was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, meaning Jesus, the light of divinity, Yehida. There met him two possessed with devils, or egos, we can say, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. So what are these tombs that these men come out of? This is a very, uh, this is a very dark symbol and uh, something we have to reflect on. Now, while we have uh, many blessings in our life, so long as we are without the uh, real cognizance and communication with our divinity, we find that we in turn are in a sense living in a tomb, in a death-like state, a sleep-like state, unconscious. Because usually if we go through our day and try to remember certain moments in which we had, maybe during breakfast or in the morning, if we're honest, we, we will find that we have, typically have many gaps in our memory not only do we not, not necessarily remember everything we did in a given day, but at the same time, we really are not aware of what were we thinking in a given moment in the day or feeling or what type of action we took. The fact that we can't remember all these things emphasizes that we're not fully cognizant. We're not fully awakened. Because a person who is spiritually awake is a genuine Buddha who has developed that light inside, is aware of everything, moment by moment, never forgets anything, and is perfectly aware of his or her internal psychological state. So this is the tomb, what the tomb represents. It's a form of sleep, of death. This is a form of, uh, of really, of spiritual death. And so religion, the Bible, uh, teaches allegorically how we need to awaken from the tomb, just like Jesus resurrects from the dead inside of the soul. That light needs to be developed inside. And precisely this occurs as uh, after when Jesus is driving out these demons from these men. 
or egos, how the soul pure, how the soul is purified by that divine light inside of us. And behold, these two men cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Because the ego, our anger, does not believe in divinity. In a moment, we may feel that we want to act kindly towards another person, but meanwhile, they provoke our, our wrath. That sense of wrath does not believe, want to believe in that moment to listen, to want to be cooperative. Instead, wants to provoke, uh, prevent, uh, present one's uh, point of view. And so the ego is like that. We try to, we try to not behave in, in harmful ways, saying, you know, speaking with anger or resentment. And uh, we need to learn to listen to the divinity inside. So this is what the, the ego says. So what, are we, what have we to do with thee? Because our defects have nothing to do with God, which, who is purity. And the mind as we have it is uh, impure, is, not, is dark. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, meaning to expel these defects out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. So this is a symbol of how, in the process of purifying the mind, how that light expels these defects. And the fact that they go into the bodies of swine, really, uh, pigs traditionally have been referred to in Judaism and Islam as unclean animals, which is why uh, Jews keep kosher and Muslims keep halal, referring to the fact that consuming those type of animals, which contain a lot of destructive, devolving energies, forces that are very uh, counterproductive to developing uh, purity. We know that even many... uh, that swine carry a lot of larvae and, and elements, even on a physical level, let alone a more subtle energetic level. So we avoid pork. This is why the Jews avoided eating pork. Same with Muslims. And so the fact that these, ego, these, uh, these swine took, you know, accepted the, these psychological elements of the ego, uh, one level pertains to, and the fact that these swine entered over a cliff and down into an abyss into the, and perished in the waters, it's a symbol of uh, what religions call hell or infernal, infernal ways of dimensions or being. So hell is a place, but not as people picture it because uh, on a psychological level, it refers to when the soul is being purified, those defects are being ejected, destroyed, while the soul is being freed and liberated. So these men who are possessed are, are no longer uh, uh, compelled by those elements. So this is something that occurs inside, not literally outside, that these egos literally go into the bodies of uh, physical pigs and then they went over a cliff. This is a Bible symbolic language, as we've been explaining. So the ego is, is, a, is a type of demon. Because really when we feel negativity, it is demonic. It's not conducive for the well-being of others. So Christ needs to expel that, to, to eliminate that, so that in, in the place of anger, there is love. So the light that is liberated, the soul, the essence that is liberated is purity, is joy for the other person. Even if the other person is mistaken or harmful, instead we just radiate happiness towards that person. So we also need to talk about uh, another factor in our psychology we call personality. So we've been talking a lot about 
Um, the nature of the soul and the nature of, of ego, statistical elements, defects. We also have what's called the personality. And as I mentioned to you, the example of the child that's between the ages of zero and seven really uh, are innocent until finally through education, through growth, through experience with life, they develop what's called the personality. And a personality is particular to a culture. Specifically, we find that uh, the word personae means mask. And it's a way of relating to the world. So the personality is a necessary element we need to uh, acquire in order to really subsist in this country, in this world. But the personality is an is a interface, we could say. It's, it's a form of energy in a way of relating to others, which is necessary. We need to have an education of, to speak a language, to learn the ways of the world, to subsist. As soon as the personality is developed within a child around the ages, between four and seven, we could say, then that child begins to assimilate what we call the ego. So the child in, a, in its first years of life is innocent, doesn't have ego, no anger, no violence, no hatred, no lust, no pride. It's a pure soul. But gradually as they devour, develop this interface, this personality, the lang- learning to speak, language, customs, culture, particularly to a given time, then uh, those psychological elements called ego, which were created in previous existences, previous lifetimes, begin to assimilate in the body, assimilate in the soul. So in this teaching we talk about the doctrine of reincarnation. And we have uh, lectures and materials about that. Something that we can become personally cognizant of from experience to verify. But a child usually, uh, when it's very young, typically uh, if, you, if uh, one has been a parent one has, or is familiar with child rearing, one knows that sometimes children will cry at night seemingly uh, for no reason. Or, and the parents think, oh, the child is lacking food or wants to be with their parents. Sometimes these children, when they're in their crib, will see, being very awake as a soul, clairvoyantly, will see all these shadows and shapes and, and defects of their ego trying to enter that child. Th- those elements belong to the child that that person created in another lifetime, but cannot assimilate until having that personality. So when the child begins to develop uh, that mask around the ages of seven, then the ego fully enters. Then the child is no longer innocent, but is... Uh, you know, develops irritation and all these, and it sometimes can be can become very difficult if one's a parent. And so, um, personally, I remember being very young. I've had the memory of being in a being in a crib, and seeing these shadows trying to enter around my crib, and I was terrified. So I would cry. I cried to my mother. I remember this experience, uh, being very young, and uh, but then later, of course, developing a personality, those elements enter. And one becomes the individual one is. But uh, children see this at a young age. Children are very perceptive. They have, usually parents and adults think that they're uh, um, ignorant or they don't know better. But really, children are more aware than their parents are, obviously. They're, they have qualities that are, they can see into, uh, many times children can remember past lives. There's some cases that are documented in India, especially, where that culture is more accepting of this type of teaching. Likewise, uh, you know, children don't, uh, who are very young don't exhibit problems or defects, but when they get older, as developing a personality, then those defects enter. 
And uh, the child is no longer so innocent, but his parents would say is perhaps demonic in some, in some cases. So what is the personality, really? The personality is, uh, the personality is uh, a mask and is developed in relation to three things. We call it genotype, paratype, or, uh, genotype, phenotype, and paratype. Genotype relates to genes, you know, our, our one's inheritance, which we receive in our DNA. This is one factor that helps develop our personality. And the genes, we say, is a vehicle of what we call karma. So karma, in people famously use this, or people throw this term around, means cause and effect, literally. Or if someone does a bad action, one will receive bad karma either in this life or other lives, as taught in Buddhism and in Hinduism. But uh, really our actions from our life go to shape our next life, we could say, in this, in this cycle of change, of transience. And so uh, we find that uh, genes, our genes really are the physical manifestation of who we are on a biological level. And sometimes, our, and really our biology shapes many aspects of our culture, such as the different psychologies between men and women, or uh, certain diseases that people incur as a result of, we could say, having caused harm in other lives. And so these things can help shape one's personality, how one relates to the world. We also have paratype, which relates to circumstances. So we know that certain circumstances in life can really change how one interacts with others of a traumatic nature, of a, of, a, of a psychological nature. And likewise, we have, uh, we have a phenotype, which is our education. So where we go to school, we learn language, we learn how to communicate, how to relate to others. These things are all necessary. We need these things. But the soul needs to be the one that's working through the personality, not the ego. Because as soon as uh, our defects, our egotistical elements work through the personality, it it really causes problems. And we look at our society today, we see this is manifest. Our society is really bent on a type of media that is engrossed in sensuality and uh, violence of destruction. People value anger and resentment and, and sarcasm over kindness. And these are as a result of people using their knowledge and personality for egotistical means. But instead, we need to use our soul through the mask of the personality. And so in Greek theater, you find that uh, they would present many dramas of a spiritual type, many teachings through, uh, through theater of a spiritual nature by wearing masks to emphasize the nature of we are teaching through our personality, we could say. But here, you know, Really, it's a type of mask that prevents us, also in many ways prevents us from knowing our divinity. Because many people are very indoctrinated by their religion or their culture. Even food type, pertaining to culture. People, some people are very attached to their, their, their tongue and instead do not know how to appreciate other people from different perspectives. So sometimes really this personality of ours can be uh, an obstacle so the personality, as we said, is a form of energy. And people who really develop strong personalities, when they, uh, when they die, their personalities remain. 
So we emphasize in this teaching that when a person dies physically, there are three things that go to the grave. You have the physical body, and uh, you have what is known as the, the personality, specifically. And uh, really, uh, really the personality and the, the physicality, as well as uh, one's vital forces and energies, these things deteriorate. And so the soul, the essence, the ego leave. Perhaps to enter into a new body, into a new life, into a new existence, or, uh, or not. It depends on uh, the moral qualifications of that soul, or that actions of that person in a given life, which we discuss in, uh, in different lectures. But people who are very perceptive, who've said that, who've said that they've seen uh, ghosts or spectral images over graveyards, what they're seeing is the personalities of those people who are dead. So the essence and the ego, they've left the body. But instead, those people who really developed a very strong personality, invested so much energy into, those, uh, into the personality itself, and who have in turn um, left what are known as specters, ghosts. So people, they, sometimes they, these, these personalities are so strong that in haunted houses or places, cups and physical objects would move. This is documented in, you know, people, many people have experienced this. Uh, I particularly remember a story of one, uh, there was an insane asylum that was shut down many years ago in which was very haunted because those people who were sick uh, mentally, their personalities were so strong that they were moving things physically. And so this is a very, uh, and people usually attribute, oh, they say this is the soul of these people moving these objects. But we see that the soul is the essence, and the ego, these things leave. But the personality is, uh, sometimes, it really it lingers over the grave, and it deteriorates as a form of, uh, like, a, like the, a form of psychic matter, not physical matter. So Samuel and Vior states in the Perfect Matrimony, the personality is time. The personality, li- the personality lives in its own time. It does not reincarnate. After death, the personality also goes to the grave. For the personality, there is no tomorrow. The personality lives in the cemetery, wanders about the cemetery, or goes down into its grave. It is neither the astral body or the emotion, our emotions, nor the ethereal double, meaning the, our vital energies. It is not the soul or essence. It is time. It is energetic and it disintegrates very slowly. The personality can never reincarnate. It does not ever reincarnate. There is no tomorrow for the human personality. So we find that uh, we say the personality is time. And why? Because in a given time, we develop a certain personality to subsist in this society that we live in. Now, personalities are necessary. We don't to say that someone from the 15th century, uh, medieval Europe, perhaps, in, uh, during the Dark Ages, or a Roman soldier in, uh, ancient, uh, in ancient Rome, would have a certain personality that wouldn't fit in our current society. And they make movies about this, which are humorous. But... Uh, it shows that the person, you know, a personality is born in its time. A language, a culture, a way of being, of interacting with others is particular to a time and place. That's why we develop personalities with each life in which we have existence. So it's time. And therefore, it's born and it has its death. The soul and the ego go elsewhere. So we're talking a lot about the, the Christian Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we're going to emphasize some more teachings about that, about 
e uh, essence, ego, and personality in relation to the book of Genesis. So I don't know how familiar with some of you are with uh, the Old Testament, but we find the very famous story of uh, Cain and Abel, where uh, in, the, in the Bible, Cain and Abel were two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was jealous of Abel, and Cain slew Abel. So uh, Cain represents the ego, we say, in Gnostic terms. Abel, as we're going to explain, is the soul, the essence. So we find in the Old Testament, after the expulsion from Eden, this symbolic story of how the human being has lost his in or her innocence, has lost connection with divinity. Instead, we're, we're cast out of paradise for disobeying the divine law. And so Adam and Eve knew each other, we say in the scripture, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from Yorkhava, from God. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the, the fruit of the of Adama, the ground, and offering unto God, Yorkhava. And Abel also brought forth the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And Jehovah, God, had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So what does this mean that God favors Abel's offerings? So Cain is a tiller of the ground. And what else is a tiller of the ground but the ego? Where the uh, egotistical mind is, uh, is governed by uh, materialism, obsession with physical things. It's a type of preoccupation with material life, devoid of spirituality. So constantly in life we are tilling the ground, seeking economic means, subsisting, working, living in life, perhaps indulging in television or other activities that are related to this world. And uh, on the other hand, we have Abel, Habel, who is the soul that makes offerings to God. And you know, the symbol is that he sacrifices sheep or offers sheep unto the divine. And we have this symbol of a sheep in the Bible is very uh, pertinent throughout that uh, Old and New Testaments. We see that Jesus is a, the good shepherd, we could say. A sheep is a symbol of a person who uh, is becoming moral, pure, is developing the soul inside. Because the word he, in Hebrew for uh, lamb is, uh, is uh, son. It's a tsari and uh, tsari ayin or alef nun in Hebrew. Or you could say T-S-A-N-N, Zion. And that letter uh, also relates to Zion, the, the holy city of the prophets, which is a kingdom given to, is, in the Bible represents the, the kingdom of heaven or a higher level of being, which is governed by the, those souls that have become fully purified. So a Zion, or a follow, one who follows the path of Zion, Zion, is someone who is becoming righteous, a tzadik in Hebrew. So the being, our divinity, Christ inside, favors the offerings of the soul, never the mind, never the ego. And so very famously in the story, we find that Cain kills Abel. And this is the state of humanity. Anytime we are identified with 
negative elements, negative emotional states, fear, worry, preoccupation, discouragement, despair. These in themselves are killing our soul. So the Bible doesn't refer, it's not some history in the past. It's really referring to something that's happening now. And so Cain takes a, a club and he kills his brother because he's jealous. His countenance fell because he did not receive favor from divinity. This is the mind, this is the ego, which does its own will and does not favor the work of the soul. And so we see that Abel is weak here. We, do, we included a very famous quote from uh, Ecclesiastes, the very first verse, where it says, literally, Vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What's interesting in Hebrew, it says uh, habel habalim, habel habalim. The word habel means vanity. So vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So this is very enigmatic teaching. So why is the soul called vanity? Because people look at spirituality in these times and they think it's something vain or superficial. They mock the, they mock the study of the soul. They think it's something, people who are very materialistic, like Cain, who till the ground and only think of money. They in turn look at those who seek spirituality with disdain. They say, oh, this is vanity. This is pointless. There is no such thing as God or divinity, they say. But those of us who practice seek to know divinity directly. So that's why the soul is named Habel. Uh, it says Habel Habalim. Habel Habalim. Vanity, vanities, all is vanity. Also because within us, our soul needs to be, is dead. It needs to be resuscitated. It's in darkness. It needs to be awakened through spiritual work, through the light. So Jehovah, which is a name for divinity, Yodkava, said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth or angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, should you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So this is the divinity speaking to the mind. You know, why, uh, if you do well, you, you will receive benefit. Meaning if you do righteousness, do good things for humanity. Not be preoccupied with self-will, which is uh, ego, defects. Subjective senses of self. And then Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. Cain rose up against Abel and slew him. And Jehovah said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And this is everyone today with their egotistical sense of mentality, where uh, really the, the genuine sense of uh, camaraderie and uh, communion with on a, really a, the basis of humanity, not just one culture, is really absent. We find that uh, people do not really support their brother and say, we wage war against others. So that's the mind of Cain of many politicians saying, I, am I my brother's keeper? Really? Do I need to help uh, others in this way. And that's one interpretation we can take. And so, uh, and then he said, what, and then the Lord said, what has you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. So the Hebrew word for blood is dam, which has many meanings, symbols that are interesting for us to examine. So the word for ground is adama, means earth. It's the same word as you see Adam, 
as in the Adam and Eve. So why is that? So the word Adama, the ground, is a symbol of the mind. It's a type of hardened, concrete mind that has taken the principles of divinity, the blood of Abel, and absorbed them. So similar to the image we provided of, uh, or the example of the genie in Aladdin's lamp, we find that uh, we find that uh, the lamp is the ego that traps the soul. And so whenever someone uh, identifies with the ego, they kill the soul. And the blood of the soul is really the soul is absorbed further, is trapped further in the ego itself. This is the biblical teaching of ego essence and personality. So we're also going to talk about uh, what the personality is. So in the Bible, we have the famous story of the the Tower of Babel. So this is a very famous tower that was supposedly built by King Nimrod to heaven that was so tall that it, uh, that it uh, offended divinity, Jehovah. Thereafter, he supposedly, divinity, destroyed that tower and dispersed the, the hum- humanity at the time into different languages and cultures so that they were completely separated and they couldn't understand each other, spoke different languages. This has a type of historical significance, which is superficial, but here we're talking about the psychological aspect. That, pers- that tower is really a symbol of the personality. People in these times are building a giant tower, worshipping celebrities or personalities, a type of behavior contingent upon the culture or the time, particularly for each uh, country. So everyone is building this giant tower, you could say, is a monument to self, selfishness of a psychological type. People really, in these times, we, our, our culture really worships huma- the, the personality because we find that, uh, you know, such as American Idol, people worshiping the personality uh, of individuals. Everyone wants to become famous, idolized, worshipped. That's the type of personality worship and people develop very strong develop that part of themselves very strongly because they invest so much energy and time into that so that's the tower of Babel so we find here that uh, that says in the book of Genesis and Cush begot Nimrod and he was a mighty one on the earth he was a mighty hunter before Jehovah wherefore it is said even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before Jehovah so what does it mean to be a mighty hunter the personality people are as a personalities are People with a strong personality are always hunting for more, for that next experience, to acquire more fame, more knowledge, more experience, and therefore, and therefore they uh, are developing this tower that is offensive to heaven. We can say because divinity, because that personality as a mask prevents us from accessing our deeper spiritual states. The last image we have here is of David killing Goliath. Very famous story of how a young boy killed a giant warrior. This is a symbol of how the soul needs to kill the ego. How the soul, the essence, needs as the 3% that the young boy, a child, has to conquer that giant that is 97% of our consciousness is trapped. It's a very beautiful symbol of how you know, a young boy confronts a giant warrior and with simply a slingshot, a stone, and faith in God, is kills this giant. 
And so uh, in this image, we have David holding the head of Goliath, meaning he's conquered his, this is a master who has conquered all his defects and is uh, purified. So we have to destroy the defect in order to liberate the soul. And as they represent it in the name David, we have three letters in Hebrew. Dalet, Vav, Dalet. You read Hebrew from right to left. So this is an acrostic. It's a symbol. So acrostics in the, uh, basically is a series of Hebrew letters or letters in a word that represent something else. So we can look at three letters, represent dat, which is another no- word for gnosis, spiritual knowledge. So dat in Hebrew is uh, gnosis uh, in Greek. Tifereth is relates to the sixth letter vav in Kabbalah, is uh, the letter V. The sword, it's the, it looks like a sword, literally. The soul is uh, the warrior, Tifereth, that needs to conquer what is impure inside. So Vav refers to Tifereth. And if you add that letter Vav in the middle of Tifereth, you spell Aur in the middle. Tifereth. Add Vav between A and R in the middle. You have Tet, Pe, Aleph, and then add Vav with Resh, and then Tav. You have the letter Aur in the middle. So that light of divinity is born in us when we conquer the ego, conquer our own imperfections. And then the last D relates to the last letter of the word Yasod, which means foundation. And then we have many books that explain the nature of Yasod, the work with spiritual energy, so as to develop our soul. But these are just uh, some biblical stories that relate and explain this division of uh, our psychology, particularly in relation to um, that which is pure in us and that which... Um, is impure. So are there any questions? I'm not clear about the difference between personality and ego. Right. Ego are the seven sins that you've already mentioned, but personality, they develop in life, and then some of them from karma. Isn't that ego from karma too? Well, the, the personality is shaped by our, our, the deeper elements in our psyche, which are egotistical. And uh, it's a good question because the way to understand what the personality is is just to observe one's habits, oneself. Personality pertains to uh, kind of an interface. Our language shapes our personality, our culture, kind of the, the habits that we have, the foods that we eat. Uh, these things shape ways of a- interacting with the world. But the actual desire that pushes one to act in certain ways in accordance with a culture or time is uh, ego. So the way to know the difference is to practice self-observation and to really observe these elements inside. Um, but on a literal level, our culture and our education and our experiences in life, uh, such as the way we were raised or uh, certain traditions we keep, these things are very uh, related to personality. Um, but to know the distinction, simply observe your ways of interacting in one culture as pertaining to another. See very different ways of interacting, such as, uh, for instance, uh, I've had many uh, Latin American friends who uh, I simply got to know and immerse myself in that culture and completely different ways of thinking. So it's very easy to see in that circumstance, you know, the kind of developments in their personality that they have that are particular to their culture as opposed to uh, American or, or North American, specifically. Um, so to know, really know the difference, uh, you could uh, immerse yourself with other cultures and see 
really the stark differences in ways people interact with each other. But uh, knowing uh, the desires itself that impel one to act through that mask is different. And the way to know that is to observe, as we say, uh, teach in uh, uh, revolutionary psychology specifically. When you say observe, you're observing outwardly, right? Not the inside self-observation. We want to do, uh, do both because uh, when you observe your internal states and the external, it's to be simultaneous. And that's something we're going to talk about in our next lecture. And how uh, when you begin to be aware spiritually, we learn to see what's in the external world, but also inside. And to know simultaneously the, the relationships between them. So that's very well, it's well documented in a book called uh, uh, Great Rebellion, or uh, Revolutionary Psychology as well. But, uh, to be aware is to be aware of everything, and not to have any filters in one's perception. Specifically because... Um, it's not just about being aware inside, but also outside at the same time. And of course, in the beginning, this is challenging. We begin to see that usually our intention throughout the day or in different activities is dispersed. We could be driving a car, talking on the phone, while listening to music. And our attention is in many places. But really, um, if it's in many places, it means that we're not fully focused on what we're doing. So that's a skill we develop through uh, practice. And I recommend that in order to really develop that skill, don't drive while, don't speak while, don't, it's also illegal here in the city to drive with your phone or uh, do other things when you're doing, I would, I would suggest when you're practicing mindfulness, simply practice, uh, do what you're doing, don't do other things. And that'll teach you to be more profound in your awareness of what you're doing in a given moment in relation to being observant. Any other questions? So the personality is so strong that sometimes it stays behind after the life ends. Right. But yet we need the personality to survive here in the material world, right? Right. It's just the ego part is what we don't want. Right. So the ego we want to eliminate, but also on a very high level of practice. When the ego is fully destroyed and that soul is becoming purified, even the personality needs to be destroyed. At the, that's really at the end of one's, one's work in terms of the process of the path of spiritual realization. So. You know, I just think that as we, as anyone studies, um, that kind of takes care of itself, the ego, just sort of um, disappears. It's of no interest, you know. To, as you self-observe. <laughs> so we teach that... Uh, uh, observation of a defect does not eliminate the defect. And so we practice meditation to observe in a day and comprehend our mind more, more profoundly. For that, you can study, uh, really in our future classes, we'll discuss that. But also we talk about it in Revolution of the Dialectic, the practice of sitting down to meditate, and then after having observed egos in action, we sit down, reflect on what caused certain problems in our situations, and we reflect on each defect that we saw in a progressive manner, and work on it uh, to comprehend it deeply. And so that's the science, relates to the science of uh, meditation, really comprehending ourselves. So we say that our fundamental practice in this tradition, we have many practices, is meditation, learning to become more aware of ourselves, and to go deeper into observing what caused certain conflicts in a day or an event or in our lifetime, so that they can be changed. So we don't uh, 
observation is not enough. We need to really become more profound and to work with divinity inside as St. Saint, uh, Saint Anthony was in that image specifically. So, so observation will not eliminate. Instead, we have to learn how to comprehend ourselves first that divinity can remove those impurities when we're observing them and working on them. So observation is the first step. Uh, judgment and meditation is the next. And then execution as uh, we teach. So first observe, then really reflect on and try to comprehend the given element that we saw in action. And then uh, afterward, we pray to divinity to remove that defect. And then we find that if a certain circumstance recurs in our life and we don't react with anger or a certain sense of pride or, or uh, egotistical way of behaving, we find that really that, that defect's been eliminated so we don't repeat mistakes. But instead, um, uh, if we continue to react the same way, act the same way, it means we have more work to do. Is it possible that while you're working on that, that you're being tested um, in that process? It's not so easy to get over that hump because... In divinity, the, in, right, in divinity, uh, this is the, the meaning of all the tribulations that prophets experienced in their uh, lifetimes. We have to likewise follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And uh, I'll just conclude that, uh, you know, we have to follow the examples which we have to face hardship. So I thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.